Hello and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast, the one and only mindset podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs and coaches master their mindset, giving you insider access to industry leaders around their psychology, their campfire stories, and the mindset required to be successful in this business. I'm your host, Kieran O'Neill, mental performance coach and founder of Total Mental Performance, the world's fastest growing specialist mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. So without further ado, let's lean in and listen. Yes, yes, team. Welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Today's actually a bit of a different episode. And the reason it's different is we've got one of my best mates, Louis Calvert. The amount of infinite love and respect I have for this man. But in the same sense that you would with your own brother, mm-hmm. almost a level of loathing. <laughs> almost a level of, at times, a, love, a loving hatred. <laughs> and we get on each other's tits and it is, it's bizarre. But... Honestly, he's been such a big part of my life and we've been on quite a journey. He's the founder of The Power Project and we've pushed each other, we've challenged each other, we've competed with each other, we've embraced each other, we've loved each other. It's just amazing. It's like the journey that, that we've been on and I just know that there's so much life lessons to, to be taken out of this. So, mate, welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's about time, I think, don't you? Louis was with me when I picked up my first ever paid coaching client. Can you remember? Oh, I remember well. I was pushing you to take it. Can you remember that? <laughs> it was amazing. We, uh, we decided to go traveling. And that didn't, that, that, that <laughs> our definition of traveling yeah. is a very different definition. Yeah, right? we had the goal of being in a new city every single month. We thought this is gonna be great. And we got to the first place, Valencia. We stayed there for one month, two months. Three months, Kieran became an illegal immigrant and had to leave. I was two days away from being a legal immigrant by itself, had to leave, went to Dubai, got stuck there. <laughs> and that was our traveling career over. That was it. The thing that I've worked for five years <laughs> to get to. I was like, right, I, I'm building my business so I could travel, live out of a suitcase. I'm going to love this. Lasted for three months. <laughs> I tried apart. it again recently, though. Completely fell apart. <laughs> And so, yeah, at, at that point, I just left a software sales career. I actually took a year out. I haven't shared this with many people, but I actually took a year out to just work on myself. I'd come out of a six-year software sales career. I'd left London. I'd left my previous relationship, which wasn't working. I'd been diagnosed with ADHD. And there was just a lot of chaos. And I'd gotten to a point where financially, I didn't have to go to work. I had enough to, to survive. And I decided, right, I'm going to take a year out. And I'd already studied mindset performance and I was already training that in when I was leading software sales teams or mentoring or even in sports. So I've already, I was always doing it, but I decided to take a year out just to study. And uh, me and Louis met up and we hadn't really, we'd actually fallen out. Mm-hmm. We had a silly argument, didn't we? We'd, yeah. And we hadn't spoken for about properly for about two years i think one of many arguments but this is probably the most the most potent this the was longest lasting argument yeah we had. <laughs> that was a two-year hiatus so that was a pause on our relationship and uh oh i think it's exactly <laughs> what we needed yeah yeah and we just went i remember we went for this walk where we used to go running as mm. kids as boxers we went for this walk and we was like why don't we just travel and we was like yeah let's do it and then so anyway we end up in valencia and i'm working with a lot of my business contacts these are like CEOs or senior executives in the performance and commercial performance space. And but I wasn't charging them. I was just coaching them just because I loved it. And I just thought, fuck it, why not? And I was getting really good results. And we're in this Valencian pub and we, with the, the weirdest coincidence. 
So Louis' uncle, Martin, that used to coach us. And the street we landed on was called St. Martin Street. And the pub we went to to watch the boxing that evening. So we went to go watch the boxing on St. Martin Street in a pub. I remember saying as well, I remember saying as well, because there was three Irish pubs. We had to go watch the boxing. I think it was Dillian White and Povetkin. That was it. And I remember saying there was three Irish pubs. We knew they'd be showing it and we didn't know where else to go. And there was one called like St. Martin's Pub. That's it. And I remember literally saying, because me and Kieran both love, we were always looking out for signs from the universe and stuff like that. And I remember literally saying, I bet something significant happens tonight. Even if we just search for it, I know something significant is going to happen and take it away. And then we go there and we're watching the boxing. And No, we didn't even watch the boxing. No, we got there and they had some weird MMA on. It wasn't UFC. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Federation on. And we were about to leave the pub. And this guy, English guy, First English guy we'd seen in ages because it was around the COVID yeah. time, so that, that, that no one was traveling. And he turns around and he goes, You trying to watch the boxing? And we go, Yeah. And he goes, Oh, I'll get it on my laptop. And he just had his laptop there for some reason and he, and he started yeah. streaming it. <laughs> and he was really into boxing too. So I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah. And um, in the end, he was like, So what are you doing and how does it work? And, and we'll come into the significance of Martin and who he was later. But I just told him what I was up to. And he's like, oh, amazing, what do you charge? And I was like, at the minute, I'm just doing it for free. And he goes, I, I want to pay you. I went, ah, don't worry about it, it's, it's fine. He went, no, really, I, I want to pay you. I went, okay. And, and then he goes, how much do you want to charge? I went, I don't know, 75 euros? He goes, we'll call it 50. <laughs> he haggled you down. <laughs> yeah. And I went, sure. <laughs> no worries. And that was my first paying client. And Louis really guided me through that, like the whole thing. He was like setting me up on Stripe. <laughs> he was like, you need to build it. Like you need to be thinking about marketing at some point. Louis had hit a really powerful financial, probably the, one of your financial peaks. In terms of consistency, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like just consistent building, growing, scaling. And I've never built a coaching business before. I've built a couple of other businesses, but they're never an actual coaching business. And Louis just guided me through all of it. He literally saw that 50 euro note. He literally saw that be born mm. and he's watched that whole trajectory into the team that we have the brand that we have mm. the events that we're running and i can honestly say mate tmp would you would we wouldn't be where we are without you mate so thank you appreciate that thank you very much and yeah i remember that 50 pound i remember you coming out or something like that saying that the 50 pound was there and i said all right that's it you're charging now because there's obviously a mental block that's mm. i do this but i don't charge and as soon as that 50 pound hit the pocket now you're charging and then I remember all of these, all of these people that you were doing for free, they slowly started to become paying clients, boom, boom. And then there you go. TMP was truly born. That's it. And I think there's undervalued is working for free. Like I, before I'd even taken a paid client, I had eight or nine testimonials from mm. pretty influential people in their spaces of what they did. So there, there's something that's understated in that. But yeah, Louis just... He just saw it and then he advised and then he pushed and even things like, oh, shit, how do I manage this? How do I manage that? Um, or oh, a client hasn't paid me. What do I do? And then he's like, don't worry, dude. Like he, he literally just guided me all, all through that, mate. Thank you. But run us through if he's going to give people that don't know who you are mm. background. Who is Louis and what is the Power Project? So Power Project is a peak performance coaching program for men. I call it peak performance because we work on peak performance across man, mind, and mission, which is what I call the peak performance pyramid. So we work on man, 
the physical, the energy, the physique, the strength, mind, which is their identity, their mental fortitude, and then mission as well, which is a big one. And one that I truly believe most guys are lacking in, even if they're fucking huge, even if they are smart as fuck, they're often lacking in the mission department. And that is living with deep intention, going into every single week, every single day, every single event with clear intentions of why you're there, what you want to get out of it. And making sure that you've got a powerful vision, you know where you are going. So I work with men on that. And that comes from basically lacking in all of those areas deeply from when I was younger. Seeing the contrast from myself when we knew each other, but we still know each other now, but you know, when we were boxing together, no confidence, no confidence in terms of social situations, but also no confidence in myself being able to actually get any better at anything. I had the most fixed mindset. I was getting use and ease at school. I got one C and that was in ICT. And I just thought that was me. And going through my own journey and feeling the difference between having that fixed mindset of thinking what I am is just what I am and it's not going to change compared to having that growth mindset and feeling that kind of seep into everything else is how the power project has come to be basically it's something that if i had back then, it would have accelerated me by fucking at least five years mm. just packaged up and yeah so that's me beautiful mate and i think kids and what's so interesting is i feel like this is us too feel free to say kieran you're wrong but here's i will feel free to say kieran you're wrong don't yeah, worry you can yeah even you on tell your me, own podcast you can tell me where to go absolutely <laughs> but you kids when they hear messages of I'm not enough, they go one of two ways. They go mm. angry, aggressive warrior. Fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Or they go, yeah, you're right. Mm. And they just accept it. I went angry. Fuck you. I'm going to try and prove you wrong. Overly competitive, overly just controlling mm. you for a long time when, yeah, you're right. And then this is what's so powerful about what you do and the men that you work with is you discovered that power through the same thing that we both did. Mm. Boxing. Yeah. I'm watching you bring that to the world now. It's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I actually, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I completely agree. That exactly was it. And I can look at us back and I can see that my initial reaction to being shit at school, being shy, the things that you just get, the signals that you get from people, the things that you're told, my initial reaction was, oh shit, I am not good. And the craziest thing was like, I fully, I wasn't even upset about it. Like I was shit at school like really shit. I didn't get the grades to even get into sixth form. I'm sure there was a way for me to get in if I needed to do them again or something, but I didn't even get those grades to get into sixth form. But I was absolutely fine with it. I was just like, it's all right. I'll just figure it out. This is just my life. And I wasn't even fighting it. That was the weirdest thing. And I wonder when the turning point really was. I'm not even too sure. Boxing 100% helped, but I actually think the turning point was me. for me. Boxing helped. But I was not as dedicated to you as you when it came to boxing. As we know, I was chasing girls still and eventually drinking and everything way too much. But for me, I think the turning point for me, which started to make me think, fuck, I can like change this, was bodybuilding. Even though I never competed or anything, it was the lifestyle and the training of bodybuilding. And I believe that that for me was the first feeling of purpose that I ever had. And I think this is important because when people say purpose, they think it's like some huge thing. They need to like worry about like, oh, is this the right purpose or mm. anything like that? And we can get into that even more later. But for me, my first taste of purpose ever was my training. And 
potentially not even in a good way, but it also became my sense of identity, which probably held me back and COVID helped me get out of that. But it was my sense of purpose, meaning like everything now was guided by my training. It was the first time I'd ever felt like I was good at something. The first time I'd ever felt like I was actually able to get better at something because I was so skinny when I was younger and I could literally see my hard work manifesting into fucking bigger arms in the mirror. So I was like, oh shit, I can actually change. And I'm seeing that, like I'm seeing literally, literally seeing proof in the mirror. And it was the first time that I had that purpose of, okay, get to sleep on time. Don't go drinking, eat better. It starts to, and this is just what purpose does as a whole, but for me, it was just training. It starts to guide every single action. Every single thing you're doing needs to be aligned with purpose. And for me at that time, as small as it sounds, it was literally training. And then that became like my self-development, my reading from 2015 up until now. I've read for 30 minutes a day, every single day, bar from a couple of days, probably maybe 50 days. I haven't done it in that entire time. And I think that was a turning point for me. It was feeling that shit, I can change, I can improve. And that feeling of just purpose for the first time in my life. And when you look at that, and what's amazing is you've stuck the course. You've been coaching mm. for nearly 10 years now, no? What, what year is it? Yeah, 10, 15, at least eight. 10 to 12. At 10 least. to 12. In some sort of capacity, I've been coaching people for 12 years now, which is crazy to think. And no, wait. Yeah, let's say 10. I actually remember, I don't know if it was your first, but one of your first gym sessions down Gosling Gym in Welling Garden City. We went in, I remember going into the gym and you and I were in there. We had no clue what to do. Still don't have a clue. <laughs> but we, I remember us going to the gym and just like pushing everything. And like, yeah, we feel amazing. And like all of the ideas that we had about, about how bodybuilding works. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're really overweight and you're carrying a lot of body fat, you can just turn that straight into muscle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, Kieran, you're an ectomorph. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bro, you need to be traded this way. Yeah. And it was just fun, man. Mm. It was just fun. And seeing you stay the path, one thing that you've got is consistency and you stay focused. Mm. Me, on the other hand, I've gone boxing, I've gone sales, I've gone entrepreneurship, I've gone coaching. Whereas you've always been able to stay consistent. But I feel like a lot of what we learn at the boxing club really built the foundations for oh, the mindset and what we're doing today. Mm. Even as I, I think we walked in that gym about 12, I think we were. I remember Louis denies this. He always denies this. But he asked our friend Aaron to go to the boxing club. Yeah, I don't him. remember this one yeah, bit. I remember I was there in the quad. He asked him to go if he wanted to go boxing. He said no. And I said, I really want to go. I really want. I was actually in, I was annoyed. I didn't I get invited. I was like, I want to go. And he's like, yeah, come on then. And Louis's mum took us down there. <laughs> and wow, it was like, I remember walking in that old, it was in an old working men's club. Mm, literally, it was so old that when we were all punching the bags, the walls would shake. <laughs> By the end, they had a new building because it was like a fucking, well, like, it, literally it dangerous. Got the, it got the, yeah, it was. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was for asbestos. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, structurally, that building got demolished. And I remember walking through the door and the thick smell of sweat and leather. I remember going stinks in here it it has a very mm. unique smell weirdly and i fucking love that smell now yeah i'm sure you're the same i spent so long in gyms i don't smell that smell when i go into a boxing club I, it's that, just it that's yeah, yeah. just that is just it's what it was meant to be yeah and i remember walking in and his uncle was he was our first coach ever oh yeah 100 percent. he was our first ever coach yeah and he was just like i can't i 
even want to tear up just talking about him. He was so special. He just created such a belief. Like he believed in us. Like yeah. He was so fucking special. When he died, I felt like we dealt with it fine. I felt like we just went, yeah, it's all right. We moved on. But when he died, it was like a part of me died. And mm. that was so fucking hard. But he just took us under his wing. It was just fucking, I just don't know where we'd be without him, man. It would be a whole different story without him. And for everyone listening, Martin was actually the one, my uncle Martin was actually the one who created the boxing club. So it wouldn't have even been there, right? And my memory of how we got to the boxing club was you was begging me to ask my uncle to go boxing. Like, how do we go boxing? How do we end up there? And uh, it's funny because now looking back, I already knew this anyway, but looking back, it's, I was so shy of stepping out of my box of being a weak little boy. I was so shy of not being that identity that I thought I was. It was the blocker between me asking my dad or asking my uncle. I was like, that's just so not me. So it took me so long, not because I didn't want to go down boxing. I'm sure there was some fears around that too. But I was like, I was just, that's how deeply my shyness went. I was shy of my fucking uncle and of my, of my dad to actually ask something like that. But yeah, looking back now, the time in the boxing club was fucking transformational. And obviously the time with Martin as well and the amount that he pushed us, believed in us. I remember so many different things. Like we both reel off so many different kind of one-liners that he used to say to us. Yeah, Martinisms that he used to say to us to this day and we will until we're dead. One of the big ones that I remember for me, and it's such a simple thing, but I remember I didn't want to fight. Kieran fought before me and I was coming up to my fight and I was nervous. Like I was really fucking nervous. And the thing with me and nerves when I was boxing was I had never felt nerves before. You know, I'd done my school exams and everything, but I literally did not give a fuck about school exams. I never had nerves. I walked in and walked out again, didn't give a fuck. So probably why I was so bad. And it was the first time I'd ever felt nerves. And I had people telling me, if you're not nervous, then you're not ready. So I started to like literally accelerate those Mm. nerves. When a fight was coming up a month away or whatever, I would actually, if I caught myself not nervous, I thought I was like not respecting the fight so much and I'd make myself nervous. And I could feel that like actual bodily kind of change. And I remember saying to Martin, I don't know if I actually want to fight, I'm a bit, bit nervous. And I remember him saying, listen, if you don't fight on that day, you will never fight because these feelings are never going to go away. You're never going to feel ready. You just have to fucking jump into the ring. And it's a simple message, but it goes for fucking anything. And the other thing that, that I always think about now with nerves, and this is with my dad, he told me when I was thinking about stopping boxing and I hated the nerves. That was my biggest thing. I hated the nerves beforehand, especially for us. You got to realize we was in school, right? I remember a day where it was a fucking Thursday and I was in history. And everyone else is worrying about fucking history homework. And I had to go and have a fucking scrap that night. I was like, you cunts don't even know what's going through my head. I'm shitting myself. Do you know what I mean? So like, I was in school getting nervous for a fight that night that all my family was going to come and watch. And I got beaten up. <laughs> that guy is now a professional boxer. That's Jordan. Jordan Reynolds. Shout out to Jordan Reynolds. I ended up training with him at Hoddesdon. Yeah, you're doing Lo- great. He's, he's, a he's actually like a really lovely bloke as well. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, yeah. follow him, I follow him on everything and I want you to become a world champion so I can say I at least 
got beat by a world champion. My claim to fame. So Jordan, do it for us. But remember my dad said, like, that if you stop because of these nerves, what you don't understand is these nerves are going to be with you through anything you do. And they're going to follow you for the rest of your life. And the more you can just get used to just leaning into it and crushing it, the better. And I still stopped. And every time that I'm nervous now, he says the same thing. He says, I told you, these nerves follow you through. And the nerves are always there. And the craziest thing is, it always feels exactly the fucking same. It's the same thing happening in your body. It's the same resistance happening in your body, no matter if it's a fight, public speaking, even a sales call, whatever it is. That's why I always tell my clients now, lean into the edge. If you feel that fear in anything and you start to let it beat you, it starts to just grow power. Now I've learned that. I would have had so many more fights if I knew that back then. What's meant to be is meant to be. And uh, he said the same thing to me, but in a different way. And Martin was the first person I ever communicated emotion to. Naturally, you, you just don't communicate your emotions as a boy, as a teenage boy. You just don't do that. He was the first person I actually spoke. And then eventually it was probably you. Like mm. talking about how we both shit in ourselves for our fights. Sure. But he said one thing, and it's the, same, it's the same thread of thinking, but he just said it in a different way. He said, if you, if you wait until you think you'll be ready, you'll never be ready. Mm. If you wait until you think you'll be ready, you'll never be ready. And you just need to fucking jump all in. He was such a special bloke. And just the energy that he had about it, it was just ferocious. It was just like, it gets to the end of the night. He's already done about 100 rounds of pads with mm -hmm. all the kids. i got a fight coming up. I've already done all my circuits. What I should do is warm, warm down and go home. Like, he got space for two more rounds of pads. He'd look at the clock. He'd think, fucking hell, my wife Kelly is not going to be happy mm -hmm. with this. Go on in. And then he'd do the pad. He'd, do, he'd get them done. He, and he just led by example. You've got to love what you do. And he was a volunteer. He didn't get paid for that. He was a builder. Mm. He was on building sites yeah. most days. And he just loved it. And I always wonder, so he passed away when we were, I think. It was, yeah, his uh, funeral was actually on my 16th birthday. I actually remember having. I didn't know that. It was, so it was on the 30th of July on my 16th birthday. And I, it's funny because I really, truly went through like the stages of grief. And I forgot the stages now. I could probably remember them. But I remember one and I was actually thinking like, maybe he's not dead. <laughs> I actually thought maybe he'll come out on my birthday and this is why it's on my birthday and stuff. And it was all to teach me to wow. like my family more. He never came out <laughs> on his funeral. He was dead. But yeah, it's funny. I remember that. But yeah, so we were 16. Wow. Well, you were 16. I was just about to be. And I remember I couldn't even get into the fucking church because I was in mm. Spain when it happened and we fly, flew home for the funeral, but the flight was delayed. We flew home in the morning of that and it was in the afternoon. And I remember getting there and there was literally people flooding out the church into the street. Like you couldn't mm, get in. There was actually, street. there's a seat in there for me, apparently. Harry told me, Harry Carrick, our other boxing coach, come out and he's, Kieran, there was a seat for you in there. And I just, the whole street was lined with people. And that for me was such a powerful moment because it made me realize I'm dead. If I have a funeral where so many people have showed up that's how that'll be my gauge of that's how many lives you impacted yeah that that many people took time out of their busy schedules to actually come and pay respects to that that for me just really made me realize wow and i always remember that i always remember that line of people not even being able to get into the church and thinking that is a man that has created impact yes and i always wonder like if he didn't die 
I always wonder personally, like my boxing career, where I would have got to. Because I promised him I'd win him a national title when I last ever saw him, and he was yellow and he was basically on his deathbed. Yeah. Like, speaking to him, I'd well, literally, never, literally I'd, on his bed. I never thought he was going to die. I just might not ever die. He's indestructible. Yeah. I, and I think he knew at that point. And I said, I'm going to win you the national title. And I put so much pressure on myself to deliver that promise. I never did it. I never performed. I was so anxious, afraid, guilty, shame that it's just, I always wonder if he hadn't have happened, what, what would have been? The past is dead and gone, and you can only take the positives, as cliche as that sounds, out of that. And I think he just, he helped build two leaders. 100%. Everything that he instilled in us. I, you always remember this one in that circuit training. If you cheat, you're, you're only, only cheating, cheating yourself. yourself. Yeah. If you cheat, you're only cheating yourself. Yeah. Don't fucking cut corners. And in boxing, that's the game. You, you get in what you put out. That's yeah. a classic one. Oh, all the time and all of these martinisms just they just built that you yeah. know what a fucking it's crazy when you think about it we're carrying on teachings with, his philosophy with, absolutely we are carrying on his teachings to 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 others we've added our own spin on things but we are especially for me i'm literally doing the transformation that he kick-started for me and helping other men go through that mm. and it's crazy when you think about it and it's so true what you said like i've not been to many funerals but I've never even seen on a film a, fun a, a fucking funeral that busy. Like, mm. I remember driving up. Could even drive up. You had to park a little bit further away so you could actually walk because there's so many people seeing you and Doug there. And, and it, that, like you said, it just goes to show the fucking impact. The fact that 16, boom, 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 how many years is that? Well, however many years that is, eight or something, we're still here talking about it. Like we said, l continuing on that legacy. And I think... It's so cool to see, like, he was a truly a mission-driven mm. man. You know what I mean? He had, like, clear fucking purpose, but it wasn't his work. And everyone thinks that that has to be your work and everything else, or you need a load of money to, like, mm. to be successful or whatever else. But he did not have a load of money. His passion or his purpose was not work. It was something outside of it kept it that he just put his all into. And there is hundreds of people that still are impacted by him today and all the people that we work with are impacted by him great today. that's real fucking impact isn't it inspiring others to then inspire others yeah. is top level shit harry goodwin he's passed away now mm. he i think he's 80 in, in the gym you remember yeah he is obviously an england coach take he'd coached boys all around the world and my dad said he my apparently he my dad was one of the was one of the last fights that he coached then he retired mm. and then he came back for obviously one in garden city boxing club he said um martin had the potential to go all the way to england team gp like he he had all of that and yeah it's just the power of coaching like everybody mm. listening to this podcast obviously understands the value of coaching otherwise they wouldn't be coaching yeah. but it's just it laid those foundations and and when you have that impact and that influence or if you get given an opportunity to work with someone that you can sense they've got something that i will take it Imagine if we hadn't have gone to that boxing club. Imagine how life, different life would have been. It just, it's crazy. And then obviously after that period, there was a period of time where I was boxing full time and that was my life. I went into sales and was doing that. And then, and then, yeah, we came back together and here we are, you know? It's funny you talk about, just it came up when you were saying like, Martin was the first person to, for you to talk about your feelings with. And I actually remember, I still couldn't talk about my emotions and feelings back then. And I actually think it was when he died that I realized, 
just how bad I was. I remember getting told he was in the hospital and I was so, I'm going to cry. I was so, Go there. Like, Go. I was so awkward. Sorry. I apologize, mate. Do it. Go there. I was so awkward and shy. I couldn't even go and see him in the hospital. So I went and drained fucking legs that day. So I told, I was told that one of my heroes and uncle was going to die in two fucking weeks. And because I was so awkward and shy, I went and trained fucking legs. Because <laughs> that's where I felt comfortable. That was my comfort zone. And that's when we talk about confidence. That's how it opens. That's how it shuts doors for you when you can't fucking speak your truth. And I was just thinking, what am I going to talk about? How am I going to relate? I'm so sad. I'm so scared. I've never lost anyone. How am I going to do this? And I went back into my comfort zone and trade legs on my own. And I remember that session. It was the saddest session ever. <laughs> when all my family had gone to see Martin. And yeah, that is, and we've talked about it before. And you don't notice. But that's one of my regrets is being so shy. I could only see him one time on that bed with all my family there, never like one-on-one. And that is my, one of my regrets. Now that we talk, like we talk about him weekly, monthly. So that's why this shit's important to be able to relate and not being shy to fucking cry on camera and shit like that. And not that they know that you need to do that, but it's, don't be so scared to fucking be real and show your emotions and talk your truth because you miss big fucking opportunities, if not. So that's interesting. But that was the thing that helped me realize the importance of family and everything else after that day on my birthday, on the funeral, I thought, right, I'm gonna start to let my guard down a bit or whatever else, stop being so scared of just being real. But yeah, interesting story. <laughs> you got to look at just how far you've come off the back of that. People that know Louis now, and this is something I've always respected about you, is your total self-acceptance of who you are <laughs> as a person Yeah, in all areas of life and how you will fucking do you. That sounds so cliche. You do you, but you, Louis is fucking Louis and he is not ashamed of being Louis. To come from that shy kid, you didn't even want to go and see Martin to where you mm. are today, mate. That is unbefucking-leavable. I wish, we're going to try and dig out a picture and we'll try, we'll try and dig out a picture and uh, maybe we'll put it on the carousel on the, on the episode. But for, to see that transformation, because I remember you were so awkward, man. Yeah. So everywhere we went. Couldn't talk to anyone. Not even my family. Not even my dad, who I didn't live with. I could talk to my mum, of course, but we'd only argue. But then not even my dad. I couldn't even talk to him for a very long time because we didn't live together. So we never had that comfort until I went off to Dubai. Ibiza to do a season. And it's so funny. I don't know if you were there. I think you was in London at this point. But if that was the first time that I started to actually chat to him. And I was crying like this again because he literally just said, I'm proud of you. And I go, really? And then we start crying. And then it was the first time we even had a real chat which is so funny to think and then all my friends came outside and was like what the fuck are you two doing it was at like a re wedding reception and it was really embarrassing but yeah but mate to go from that to where you are today yeah. to be able to fucking communicate this stuff to lead men through these emotions man it's just like 
that you guys don't even for Louis today you don't even get uh, like how much he has evolved into and I say this with love the past is dead and gone and you can look at that as a regret or you can look at that moment as the seed that Martin planted mm. in you to fucking take this out to the planet 100% and yeah I definitely do and like I said like it's big fucking things like that, especially when you look back, that starts to show you the importance of a lot of these things or a lot of this work. You know what I mean? Because that's the shit that really matters, isn't it? So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Shout out to Steve Calvert, by the way, Louis' dad. He'll Shout be, out Steve. He'll be listening to this and I'm sure he'll be sat there probably sipping a can of Beck's crying as well. Crying as well. <laughs> yeah. It's funny yeah. because you say myself, my truth, the one thing he'll probably keep crying at this bit the one thing that he's always said that he wants me and my sister to be was to not give a fuck. That was it. And that is now one of my biggest necessities in myself is, am I thinking for myself? That's my most important trait. Am I thinking for myself? Question everything. Think for yourself. Don't go with the fucking crowd and don't give a fuck. And actually, guys, as you stop giving a fuck, you start to realize one, how liberating it feels, and two, how magnetizing it is to the right people. And the cunts don't stay around anyway. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? They don't like it and they fuck off. And that's what your old man has always taught us. And I wouldn't, even I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, any of it, without your old man. Your old man, like, backed me, backed us both in mm. so many fucking different ways. But I remember he was my first ever sponsor in boxing. He was the first ever person <coughs> to teach me about business to help me understand like it's not a cost, it's an investment to take risks. He's seen me falling flat on my fucking face <laughs> so many times. And it's so funny, I'll go sit in his, in his kitchen. I still have like fucking back to the drawing board there. <laughs> <laughs> the kitchen chats, The mate. kitchen chats. He sat there with his can of bed. Yeah. And it's only the last, I'd say the last two, three years where there's no drawing board, where it's really hit that consistency and He's always there and he always backs in us and he always believes in us. And again, he just lying. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing without him. He's just such an incredible, loving, mm. there's just, there's no ways to describe it. And you've got that, those lessons, that, that experience. This is why this shit's important. You know, that authenticity piece, yeah. like a big part, two, two, a couple of the coins that we sell here at TMP is psychological freedom. And that is a deep acceptance into who you are as an individual. Mm. And once you start seeking into that, the signal and without going too spiritual, but the energetic frequency you walk in, you know, when your family members really pissed off and your mum and your dad's you come home, it. you can feel it. The energy of the room just drops. There is energetic frequencies. Like we know that we know mm. emotions have different frequencies, but when you can be authentically who you are and you can just, just be open and honest with nothing to hide mm. and you are who you are, guess what? Some people aren't going to like you and that's fine. But the ones that do, that signal into the universe is going to be picked up and people will respond to that signal. And then all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who are actually, I don't have an inherent loathing for you lot. Yeah. You, you lot that have come around me now are amazing. Mm. But it's only when you're not being honest with yourself and you're putting out fake signals is when you're going to attract people that, that aren't, they're not right for you. And that's something that you've always been really good at, something that I've always admired about you. And I think I told you this, I can't remember if I did, but in one of my therapy sessions, I was talking about people that um, uh, we admire and we look up to and you was, I'd written you down as one of them for somebody that in your personal life and now, and I think it's really in the last few months where mm. you've 
in the in your coaching mm. you've really just gone fuck it bring it on yeah. and, and you're just becoming so much more at peace but in, in your personal life you've always had that i am fucking me Take me as I am, my friend. I appreciate that. And I think I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. And I think um, it all comes from desire. Like when you start to hide parts of yourself, it's all coming from a place of needing something that you don't truly need. You know, when you can start to watch, all right, what, do, what, what am I like really desiring right now that I feel like I'm not complete without? That's when you start to hide part of yourself. So it's not necessarily... Sometimes it's a really desire like money and everything else. And you really feel like you need that to be complete. And everyone's talked about how that's probably not the ideal way to be. But it's not just that. It's like, I, I desire to be liked by this group. I desire to be wanted by this girl. I desire to be all of these different things. As soon as you start to come from a place of needing something to feel okay, you start to hide parts of yourself because you think that's not going to be okay. Or you start to put parts of yourself like more amplified because you think that that's what's necessary. And all of these things, you're just hiding behind these things. Even if you get these things that you want because you've started to act in a certain way, you're not going to feel good. You're keeping up this weird act, mm. whether you know it or not. And I think a really good thing to do is just start to watch what are all these little things that you're doing just to get that kind of like acceptance or, or what are the things that you're clinging on to that make you feel like people like you for that or you're not enough if you don't have that. For me, I've gone through a lot. One of my big ones was my muscle mass. And I'm sure that people listening can probably relate to this. I know it sounds so stupid, but this is, but all beliefs sound stupid when you break it down to its core. But like, I had a deep belief that if I wasn't training hard and I wasn't muscular, that people wouldn't like me. How fucking stupid wow. does that sound? Yeah. But I definitely did. Mm. And that is what kept me rigid in my life, rigid in the way that I'd never went traveling before because I could have 100% went traveling. I built this business from the ground up to be able to travel. And I got it to like double part, at least double past what it needed to be financially to actually go traveling very comfortably. I still didn't go. Why? Because I was scared that it would get in the way of my training. And I was doing this training because I thought that I needed to be muscular to be the Louis that people liked. And what, one thing that really helped there was COVID. COVID hit, gym shut for fucking ages. And I definitely lost muscle mass. I was training at home with some 17.5 kg dumbbells and that was it. But definitely lost muscle mass. And that, as small as it sounds, was actually a big pivotal point for me because it started to, to strip one of my identities that I thought I had to be. And then I was so much freer to just be myself. So much freer and I still train. I actually train better because I'm not so like worried about getting everything right and it's more enjoyable and it's more consistent. But that stripped that little part of me that I was actually hiding behind to be okay. So if anyone's listening and they're thinking like, That's, that might be me in a certain way. Is it your profession? Is it the amount of money that you like to make it look like you have or girls, good looking girls, potentially, whatever it is, you have to try and actually reduce that, try and bring that down and see that people still love you. And you've got the, you've got the similar story about boxing, right? In Subway. Oh, mate. Eating my oh. meatball marinara. <laughs> which was my absolute favorite. It's so true because the point you tapped into there is the, the, human, the common, every human being is afraid of not being enough, not being, and a big part of that is being liked. And for me, 
my big parts of being liked was being able to beat people up through boxing to, <laughs> to assert dominance and having a six pack. It were the two things that are really important. And then once I decided to leave that identity behind, I thought I was going to lose all my friends and family for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. When you start breaking it down, it's like, it makes no sense. No, it Why doesn't. am I thinking that? I was I so scared. That, yeah. dude, I remember you and Doug in Subway and I went, boys, I'm trying to tell you. Uh, and he was like, what? I was like, you might not like it. And you're like, what? I was like, I've got an eating disorder and I'm giving up on boxing and I'm moving on. And he went, oh, shit. Okay. So does that mean you don't want the subway? <laughs> what does that mean about the subway? Yeah, I was like, no, we'll get a subway. And I was like, you, you guys don't care? And he was like, no, you're Kieran, dude. Like, we got Kieran. And honestly, uh, you were much more enjoyable to be around after you dropped those things. You were so uptight before. Rigid and, and controlling. And it was probably because it got to that point where you were doing it not for the love of doing it. You were doing it for Validation. feeling like you needed to get to that end goal because you thought things would be better, right? You were much more enjoyable to be around after you stopped that. <laughs> Tell me about it. And then I had the same bloody dance of sales, man. You remember New Year's Eve when we had the flat? I had a New Year's yeah, Eve party. Yeah, Remember yeah. that? Me and my ex had this central London apartment where you could see, you start getting out the window, you could see the London Eye. And we went to go watch the fireworks for a little party. And it was just it was a massive party of fucking pretense. It was just fucking made up. It was, it was like, I was in a relationship that wasn't right. I was in a career that wasn't right. And uh, we had quite a nice party. It was actually it was quite, quite nice. nice. Having a few drinks, went to go watch the fireworks. And afterwards, we went out for a night out and we went to, I can't, I think it was the O2 Brixton, I think. Brixton Academy. We went to this. I was never with you this club. No, you'd gone to another party, but I went with me and Matt was there. My little brother was there. My ex was there. And uh, we just ended up arguing. And I remember, you know me, I've never punched a wall. Ever. Mm. Louis was the man that used to Unlike put through doors. Louis my, was, all my doors were broken. Louis retired loads of doors. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was a pro at that. I'd never punched a wall. And I remember having an argument with my ex. And I remember punching the wall next to her, my hand being swollen up. We had to then leave. We then argued. My little brother then got angry about the argument. So he went missing for the night and we got scared. And I woke up on New Year's Day, hungover. They shit all over the flat from the party. The bedroom's a mess. I'm hungover. My hand's all swollen to a pulp. And I remember just like looking at the ceiling going, this can't be my life. Mm. Absolutely can't be my life. And why was I still selling? Because I thought I had to have lots of money to be likable and lovable. And that's been hard to let go. And, and since I've let go of those two identities and that need to be liked and lovable, my whole life has changed. I just can't believe I used to live like that. It's a head fuck. And you've observed all of that. Yeah. Thank you for being there, man. And 90% of people are living in a similar way to that. They're doing these things because they feel like they need to fit in and everything else. And they're just miserable. And then they lean on these things like drinking, drugs and everything else to feel like just to, to numb it out a little bit. And the interesting thing is we were talking about nerves for boxing, nerves for whatever else. And it's all, it all comes from the same place. It all comes from, I am scared that I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe. We want to be part of the tribe. And it all comes from a nervousness of shit. If I'm not doing this, or for example, if I go boxing and I get beaten up, are my tribe not going to like me anymore? And is my survival going to be in jeopardy? So when you can start to break it down to that and realize all of this stuff, every time that you're feeling fear, every time that you're feeling resistance towards stepping into something, you can feel that edge. Understand that it is literally just your nervous system worried that this is going to mean jeopardy for your place in the tribe. Say that out loud, write it down and realize that's fucking stupid in this day and age. It's not true. I'm still going to be alive and go fucking do it anyway. And the more you can start to prove to yourself 
that you're never kicked out of the tribe. You've got your tribe there. And even if you are kicked out of the tribe, you can survive on your own in this day and age. That is when you can really become liberated. And that's actually another thing that I think is really useful if you're in a similar situation to this is actually go and spend some time alone. Recently, I spent a whole month alone in Spain and that actually really helped me. That really helped me. And it just proves to you, like, even if everyone did fuck off, like I've proved to myself now, I can live on my own completely with no friends around me in a whole new country. I'm still going to survive. It's also a great place as well, a little training ground to start to go out and to start to show these parts of yourself that you don't like or you usually hide from society, even if it's just a fucking bad hair day. And because there's no one there that you know, you're going to be a little bit more comfortable and you can start to show that everything is still exactly the same. So it's a great way to get out of these things. Spot on. And the opportunity that you have as coaching entrepreneurs is you can leave whatever tribe you're in and go and build your own fucking tribe. We've got our little total mental performance mentalist tribe all doing what we're doing. You've got the Power Project tribe, which I've seen grow and mm. evolve. And it's just been an inspiring journey to have you on, mate. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We'll shoot another one definitely next year. Uh, who fucking who knows where we'll be? Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll do it in Vegas. Yeah, um, sounds good to me. Final question. And you saw when... Our little logo was built on Canva. We were sat in. Uh, I helped you build it, didn't I? Yeah, I, I made it a bit different. You took my little bits out. Yeah, yeah. I let, got, let, a, little, I got a little bit fancy let, with it. Let's give. It was fun. I can't remember. Was what, fun. what did you do? What, there was one thing that you but did. I did a nice little circle in the back. That was like it. a big like. That was it. It was I really cool. It was just a Canva graphic. Yeah. It's a good job you didn't do that because everyone, all, all, everyone that you work with uses Canva and they would have seen this graphic yeah. every day. Yeah. So it's a good job you didn't use that, to be honest. Yeah. He there I'm surprised you ain't changed the logo, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not changing it. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> Graphit have said to me, yeah, we're going to redo a, a rebrand. I was like, no, you're not. You're not doing a rebrand. I like my Canva one. <laughs> Listen, I built this on Canva and I love it. My client, The clients love it. The tribe loves it. And it's everything that we're about. And it's also distinctive. Like it catches your eye. And whenever you see it, you make that association, just like the McDonald's M. But ignoring our Canva design logo, ignoring the team, ignoring the philosophy, ignoring the movement and us, just think about the phrase, the words, total mental performance. If you'd achieved total mental performance, how would you? For me, I think total mental performance for me means a lack of things that are holding you back more than anything. I don't think it's adding too much on or anything like that. I think it's literally the elimination of your glass ceilings, your blockers, your fears, the things that are making you feel like you need to hide because you need to start stay part of the tribe. I feel like that is total minimum performance. A complete lack of that is, I know this is a meditation analogy, but it's like a sky, a blue sky with grey clouds being all the, the things that are holding you back. And over time, just so those clouds chipping away at them until it's just that blue sky. So you can just be truly you and there's nothing holding you back. Louis Calvert, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. I love you very much and love having love you. Love you too, bro. And yeah. So drop, uh, drop Louis a follow. What's the Instagram handle? Instagram is Louis Joe Calvert. It is L-O-U-I-S. J-O-E-C-A-L-V-E-R-T. Drop him a follow. If this resonated with you, drop him a message. Please share this on your story. It means the world for us to get this podcast out there. Drop a comment into the comments and I will be, I say seeing, you'll be listening to the podcast next week. Big love team. 
So that's us for today, team. I want to say a huge thank you for spending this portion of your life listening to us. A couple of things before you disappear. If you're not already following us on Instagram, you can find all of our daily content on mindset and hitting peak performance at Total Mental Performance or our website, www.totalmentalperformance.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe or you'll find us on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts and all the other various different platforms. Big love. Thank you ever so much. And we're looking forward to speaking with you soon.